in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess. This is meant to be as comprehensive as possible. Right? These these three realms, you know, the idea of uh, in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Remember the Apostles' Creed? He is to come to judge the living and the dead. This idea that everything in creation, you know, it's the, you know, the heavenly beings, you know, the, the dead, everything. Everyone will bow their knee before Jesus as Lord. Completely comprehensive. And this idea that he is exalted, actually the word there is uh, highly exalted. It's uber, uber exalted. He will be so uber exalted up that all of creation itself will bow their knee before him. And by the idea of bowing your knee, it doesn't necessarily mean in worship, adoration, thanksgiving. It is in subjection. You know, you in submitting before someone and your mouth will confess who is Lord. You can almost, you can feel almost the context in Philippi even of, uh, you know, as they were forced to confess with your mouth, what in Philippi, what did they confess? Caesar as Lord. And there's a quite a different confession here, which I mean, this was a one dangerous uh, language, even in the midst of that, that context. So the, the uh, ultimate idea here that God is the one who is uh, that, that Jesus is exalted above all and every knee will bow to him and gave him the name that is above every name, which is an amazing statement. Now, many people would look at this and some people th- believe that that means the name Jesus has been made the name above every name. I don't think that's what's doing. The name above every name is the name of the Lord, the maker of all things. And remember, a name is not just like, I call you James. That's not the idea of the name. It's more like the idea that I come in the name of the President of the United States. You know, I come in the name, I come under that, who that is, and under that authority. The name above every name is the name of the ultimate uh, being, the highest being, the highest authority, though all must answer. And who is that in the scripture? That is the Lord. So it's saying that Jesus Christ, right? What are we, what are we saying? That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. He is given the name that is above every name. And keep in mind, this is not a new teaching, right? Especially in a phrase like this. The idea is that this is what the Lord, that every knee would bow to the Lord is the conviction of the whole scripture, right? I mean, what's the, what's the whole Bible teach, right? The Lord is over all of creation. He has made all things. He is king over his, over, over the world, and the world has broke and turned away from him. And the day will come when the Lord will no longer allow the rebellion. Now we are in the time of pardon that he will make, that he will come and he will reign over his creation. Bring all things to judgment and restore all things to righteousness. You remember the, um, you know, in Zechariah 14, it says, the day of the Lord when he makes right. He says, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea, half to the western sea, in summer and in winter. And that's a big picture of the restoration of all things. Remember in uh, Genesis, when it talks about the four waters coming out of it from all ways, the idea that from the throne of God, life is given to all of creation. And here, once again, from the throne of God in Jerusalem, water and life flows out. And where's the eastern sea? That's the Dead Sea. Right? So the waters from the throne of God bring life where there once was death. And the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord. And his name will be the only name. That is the name above all names. And that is the name which Jesus Christ has given. 
He is that Lord who will reign over all the earth as king. And the the ancient hymn really um, sticks it right in there because that's actually that idea of every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That is an Old Testament quotation. It is an Old Testament prophecy which Jesus is being placed right in the middle of. In Isaiah 45, which um, James read, Isaiah 45 says, this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. Keep in mind, this is a, it's a big statement of being who is the true God. In the midst of a world where there's all kinds of people claiming all kinds of things, he says, no, no, the Lord is the true God. He is the ultimate reality. He is the one who fashioned and made the earth. He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. He says, I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in the land of darkness. I haven't said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. The idea is that this is not something hidden. It's not like God's trying to play hide and seek with you, right? Going, oh, you guys won't know I'm the truth. He goes, no, I want you to know who the Lord is. I want you to know what the truth is. I want you to know who made you and who loves you. I'm not speaking in secret. The very purposes of Israel wasn't just that Israel would have the truth about the Lord. It's that Israel would be mouthpieces to spread the word to the nations. That it would even be written in an objective form. In the ancient world, it's very wild to have actual scriptures, to have written objective things, not just stories. And those words would be taken to the whole world, that people of every nation and tongue and language would know who the creator is. He says, ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. It's not real. There is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none but me. I'm it. I'm the only God. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Then he says, before me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. So you see how they're sticking Jesus right in the middle of this prophecy and saying, when you bow before the Lord, you are bowing before Jesus. So what he's saying in that hymn is not a new thought. It's an existing thought is the belief all along of how God is going to make all of creation right again, that he'll bring justice to the world, restore it, that everyone will worship him, that he is the true God, but that Jesus Christ is that God. That's really what it's saying. Now, some of the implications of this, um, you know, we, we think, what's it getting at here? And what, you have to understand for the scripture is the scripture is claiming to be revealing the one true God. That's a huge idea. It's not because we could think today, well, there's so many religions today. They don't understand what that was like then having so many different faiths. No, no, there were even more back then. And the idea is that God is coming not to try to like say all you guys are wrong. He's trying to, he sees them all kind of in darkness and in confusion. And God's bringing light into the midst of the darkness. He's showing them who he is. Even the nature of like the narrative language of the Bible. Think about the way Genesis is talked about. The way the, Genesis 1 is really in some ways a structure to be a rebuke of idolatry. There's not a, a God of the sun and a God of the moon and a God of the stars and a God of the water. No, there's one Lord who created all those things. You know, he made them all, even of the animals, right? The golden calf. No, it's, it's all the Lord. Even uh, uh, the plagues in some ways. 
against the Egyptians where all the different gods of Egypt are being knocked off one at a time. Boom, boom, boom. Even up unto the Pharaoh's son who was considered a god, he is knocked off. This is the one true God over all things. And the whole event even in Egypt was to show the whole world that this was the case. Essentially, what you have, if you want to imagine it, is all these people, if you want to think about all the religions and all the idols and all those things, there's some way the people trying to reach up to God. You know, God, who are you? You know, we're filling this need. And so people come up with systems and they're man-made systems. Essentially, that's what religions are. Religions are, you know, man-made systems to try to reach up to God. What the Bible's saying is that God is now reaching down to us. This is what sets the Bible apart, that it's revelation, not religion. Everything else is man-made religions, and the Bible's saying, no, the creator of the world is revealing himself to us. It's a categorical difference. Um, you know, and, and, and when I talk about religions, if, religions could be our, our man-made things which have a lot of purposes, home faiths. You know, they could be, a lot of them have to do with community, traditions, which are all, you know, fine things. I think all, I think every single religion contains all kinds of truths. Why do I say every single one is? Because if they didn't contain truth, why would anyone believe it? It has to have residence, right? So you're not like saying, oh, wow, all these religions, there's no aspects of them which are true. No, of course, there's tons of truths in them. But they're all, by their nature, human creations. That's the big difference. And some of them don't even believe in a God as such, right? The people organize around, we're transcendent beings, we're going to make religions. In fact, but what the Bible says is he's now revealing himself as to the ultimate reality as to who he is, right? I don't actually think what we're doing here today is a religion. That's not my category. You know, I think we're here to worship a reality of who God is. And, um, and, and for, I know for many people here who grew up in church, it's hard to build that separation. Obviously, for me, it's quite simple. You know, I've been, you know, I'm Jewish, right? So, I, you know, religions, that category is no big deal. You know, I've walked in Buddhism. I've walked in Judaism. I've walked in, you know, even the Christianity or something is more like a religion. And when people say, am I a Christian? I'll say, can you define what a Christian is? Then I'll say if I'm that or not. You know, if, it, if it's just a religious category, no. By that category, I'm Jewish. If you're talking to my follower of Jesus Christ as Lord, do I bow my knee before him? Then absolutely yes, if that's what it is. You know, in some ways, you know, when a reporter from the Globe asked me about what happened with our denomination, they didn't really enter. That's what I was trying to explain to them. I go, in many ways, they're a religion, and we're believing in a reality. Hallelujah. That something's actually true and real. That Jesus really, it's not just like some thing we say and sing about that we believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead and is coming back to reign. We actually think that. That's real. You know, and that's the difference. Now, the, cat, the reporter just couldn't imagine, you know, they didn't have a category, you know, of saying that that's a different thing. That's essentially what's going on. And I say when you think about different religions, a key concept, which is to me just a common sense, is that God is not a product of what we believe about him. God is who he is. And the goal is we need to believe what's true about who God is. So that makes sense. So a lot of like, you know, think about religions and space. Are people trying to come up and say, here's who God, here's what I believe God to be. So when people say, well, all the religions are valid, then you're kind of saying, well, then anyone can believe whatever they want about God and somehow that becomes true. But do you see how that's logically ridiculous? So someone who um, believes there is no God 
then there actually is no God? Someone who believes they will reincarnate, that's what happens to them? Someone who believes they will become a pig after they die, that's what happens to them? That what you believe becomes the reality? No, it's silly. Only, what hap- only the reality is what will occur. So what you want to do is you want to believe what is true and real. So are we offended by this idea? You know, um, our, and our, many people are offended. You know, and we live in a culture which finds this a very offensive idea that we say something is real and something is true. And, um, and, and if, you know, if you're not offended, and you might say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, it wouldn't surprise me if you're troubled, though. If you're troubled by some of the implications and troubled by some of the questions. Um, and there are a lot. Um, I mean, someone say, isn't it arrogant to believe such a thing? Isn't it arrogant to believe that this thing is really true? That, you know, you must confess the name of Jesus? You know, it's not actually arrogant. You're not actually making the statement, are you? If you were asserting this, that might be arrogant, but you're not asserting it. No one here is asserting it. I'm not asserting it. The Bible asserts it. God asserts it. Every knee shall bow and every tent confess Jesus Christ is Lord is the clear testimony of Scripture beginning to end. It's, the, it's, the, it's been asserted by 2,000 years of believers throughout you know, the Christian church. Before that, the Jewish people, 1,500 years, that God will set and make the world right and is the Lord, the creator of all things. It's not arrogant to simply say, I, 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 ha- I agree with that assertion. In fact, one thing you're, wor- you're stuck with, our culture seems to think that you can be neutral about this question, right? You know, it's a lie. There, are no, there is no neutrality. You, every single person, has some kind of belief about this. It's a claim. What are you going to do with it? There is no neutrality. It's a really hard thing to grasp. When I go in my you know, spirituality group, I say, listen, everybody has a view. And everybody's view has implications about everybody else's view. You can't escape it. You know, you want to, and people want to say, oh, all faiths are true. You know, I'm always like, you can't possibly be thinking and say that or possibly believe that. Everyone, you know, when they all say different things, there is a God, there is not a God. This is a prophet, that isn't a prophet. They say all kinds of different things. They can't all be true. So they're not actually saying all things are true usually, right? What they're usually saying is, um, not saying it, is all faiths are equally valid. Right? They probably don't say that, but they say they're equally valid. But, which is to say what? They're all equally invalid. Right? Because nobody, nobody can know the truth. Nobody can know what's thing. Everyone's just doing the best they can, and everyone's sort of equally this creation, none of which is true. Which says something, which doesn't seem so open-minded, right? To say all faiths are equally invalid. People don't say that. Because it isn't a very politically correct way to say it. But it is what they're saying. And, um, and essentially you're also saying in that statement that um, you're, you're, you're asserting very much that the Bible is not true. That um, when God says, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, seek me and you'll find me. They're saying, no, that's not true. You can't know the truth. The Bible says you can. You can know God. You can know what's real. You can know what's true. And furthermore, God wants to. And their statement is, well, that's not true. But you know something? I'm not offended by them saying that. 
Because everybody has to believe something about these questions. Every single one. And every statement someone has has implications for someone else. If you're sitting there with someone else who says, well, I don't think the Bible's true, then they're saying something about what you believe. And you're saying, just every, every single person has a different view. They're saying something about what everyone else thinks. You can't escape it. You know, what do you believe about this world, about the purpose of life, about death, about other faiths? There is no neutrality. You have some sort of thought, and whatever that thought is has implications for all these other folks. can't escape it. It's just a truth. And oftentimes, so when we come down and say, I believe this thing to be true, it's not with this 100% absolute confidence. It's more like saying, yeah, you know, this, this is where I've chosen to stand because you've got to stand one way or the other. When he says, Jesus Christ, Lord, you're going to bow your knee, you have to bow your knee to him or not. There is no, I won't make that decision. Either one's a decision. And so oftentimes you make the decision not with arrogance, but with, um, with humility. Thinking, I, I, this is where I stand. And it gives you a humble view towards others, not an arrogant one. You think, I, just, I, I believe this to be true because I have to stand somewhere. And I'm going to believe his promises to me that he'll take me to be a place where he is. And he's changed my life. And now everyone who, you know, balance, says this is what I believe, you know, everyone comes to that conclusion in different ways. You know, you come into it, um, you know, there's a combination of information, of facts, of intuition, of a sense of I believe the reality of God, which ultimately tells you it's true in your heart. And you know it's right. And in me, I look at it now all these years later, God got a hold of me like that. But now I look all these years later and I couldn't believe anything else because I know every one of these different faiths has all these implications which I could never believe. I mean, think about if the world came, you know, if I believe there is no God and everything just came through natural systems, right? You're essentially saying we're all descended from apes, so let us love one another. That's a ridiculous statement. You'd never love one another if you were all simply, if there is no God or a reason for it. There's no sense for, um, why would you have justice? Why would I care about love? Why do I care about other people? You know, unless you, you believe that everyone's created in the image of God, or all people are created equal, then they're not equal. So many things about, you know, what I believe about the world makes intimate sense when I think about the Bible. But again, I'm not here to prove the Bible. I'm simply saying that I sit there and say, yeah, this is what I stand. They make this assertion, and I believe it. So, if you do believe it, my guess is you have, you know, it raises tons of questions, which we can't spend all this time talking about today. You know, we were in a brewing on belief the other night, and one person asked the question, what about my dad? You know, my dad who died, and I can't bear to think of him in hell. Real stuff. Um, and my, now, the way I answer this question as is maybe very unsatisfying to you. But I think, again, so what does the Bible actually say or not say? You know, one thing that's kind of sad is it doesn't actually tell me to be confident to know what's happened with my dad, my dad or your dad or anyone's dad. God hasn't given us to know what happens to people. It's interesting. You know, I've watched people die. I've seen people who are dead. I've seen people who are atheists. I've seen people who are lovers of Jesus. And they look absolutely identical. They look the same. You know, there's no stamp. I don't know. 
And I believe God keeps mystery that a mystery. I can't judge anyone. I can't know with certainty about anyone in this room. But what am I do? I'm, I'm responsible from the Bible to call on you and to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and for you to bow your knee to him and to call to him. What, where you actually are? Do you actually know him or not? Is that true or not true what you're saying? I have no idea. And it hasn't been given me to know. And I really believe when people die, we essentially offer them into God's hands. God, they're yours. You know, I don't know. I'm not their judge. You're their judge. And we relinquish judgment into God's hands. And I believe that God will do right. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that I somehow will do more right than God will do right. God will do right. And I, so I actually don't think we're supposed to even think in those terms. I think when somebody dies, they are, they're released into God's hands, and we go on, and we deal with the living. You know, that's what we know, and that's what we can judge. Not to be unsatisfying for people, but I believe that's what's revealed. And someone may say, what about the people who haven't heard about Jesus? And I'm like, it's, my guess is it's identical to the people who lived before the time of Jesus. Again, God is able to judge. God will do what's right. I don't actually have to have an answer to that question. I don't think God reveals the answer to that question. So I'm not going to be all definitive about it. What I think you need to grasp is a really important idea, is that God, God loves those people more than you do. The most intimate relationship you have, the person you think you care about more than anyone else in the world, guess what? God cares about them more. God created the world. He loves them. He loves everyone with them. He wants everybody to be with him. Whatever pain you think you feel, God feels more pain about the one who turns away from him and wants nothing to do with him. And that's your comfort, is that God has more at stake than you do. What's the whole Bible story? Is that God is reaching into this world that's turned away from him to turn them back to him, to reveal who he is, so much so... That Jesus came in the flesh, became subject to this world that's rebelled against him, died on the cross so they could be forgiven and come back to him. And the very reason he says God hasn't come and made the world right again, he says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God has more at stake than anybody here does. He loves people more than ever you can imagine. And God will do what's right. We don't have to judge other people. There's actually an incredible freedom with that, isn't it? That you don't need to stand as judge over anyone. You don't need to know what's happening inside of them. You don't need to know what they think. You don't need to beat them in an argument. He says, proclaim what's true. God has sent us out, has his people into the world to share with them the good news. And it's good news. It's not bad news. And what happens with people? God will do what's right. But that there's an ultimate reality as to who God is? Of course. I believe he's going to come. Yeah, every knee will bow to him and every tongue confess what's real and what's true. At least that's what I believe. Let's pray.
We speak of these things, Father, and I even ask your forgiveness to speak of things that are so mysterious and so mighty and so uh, impacting, Lord, in a light way. Lord, help us to take hold of that which you want us to take hold of. Lord, to respond ourselves to the call to bow our knee to you, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to know a love that's beyond our imaginations. And Lord, help us to be people who call on others to come to you, to receive you, to know the abundance of the peace that can come from your presence, the joy that can come in being forgiven, the humility, Lord, that can come when truth fills our hearts. Ah, Lord. Give us courage and give us wisdom as we walk in this world. Give us peace, give us strength to be your people in the midst of this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.